Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Jordana Osband, here with my friend and Chavruta Ann Gordon. Our daf today, Masachet Chagiga, daf Chavzayin, page 27. Well, we're going to wrap up this last Masachet of Seder Moed. Tomorrow, we will be moving on to Yavamo. Thank you to everybody who joined us, really, for our wonderful Siyam uh, that we had two days ago. Um, and, um, you know, we will have the recording available because we know there were some of you who could not join us. If you don't typically join us for our CMs, I actually would encourage you to listen to this one. You'll really hear from a lot of our co-learners about what learning Dafyomi for them and what Masachar Chagiga or Seder Moed, uh, some Torah that they uh, wanted to share from that experience as well. Um, but, and I guess the Daf doesn't wait. And I guess we should just get going with uh, finishing up this Masachar. So Indeed. I'm going to... Yes, I, it's just, it feels weird. It goes quick. Um, and Yuvamot's really going to be a, a very, Seder Nashim is going to be very different. And Yuvamot is, you know, just as a sneak peek, is, is actually considered to be one of the three hardest Masechtot. It's a Reuven, uh, Yuvamot, and a Darim. Um, so that will be a challenge, but uh, I'm, I'm confident that we will all be able to do it together. Um, so we had mentioned before that the Mishnah discussed that all of the Kalim in the Beit HaMikdash had second and third sort of substitutes, right? So that if one of those kalim actually became tame and required immersion, right? This is aside from the mizbeachs, uh, they, uh, you know, they had um, second ones. But the mizbeachs, we learned, did not have second ones. Now, again, one of the things we mentioned, Anne, was that this may have been a very practical thing. I mean, how would it be possible for you to lift a mizbeach up, put it inside a mikvah, and then move in sort of the replacement mizbeach? I mean, these were just, they were very, very, big and heavy, as opposed to some of the other kalim, uh, you would be able to. And even the shulchan, we saw that there was a mention where they sort of warned the Amehauer's kohanim, make sure you don't touch it so that they would not actually have to take it to the mikvah. So I think this was a practical issue about the very large kalim that were present in the Beit HaMikdash, but they sort of had, for the smaller ones at least, I think they were using sort of these substitute ones uh, when, you know, especially at the end of a regal, as we learned before, um, and they needed to take, they assumed everything was tame because of the Ameha Aret Kohanim. So the Gemara goes on to say, right? So now what they're trying to do is find the source for how do they know that the Mizbeachs were considered to be karka, they were considered to be ground. And because they're considered to be crowned, they cannot be Mechabel Tuma. And that was mentioned before in the Mishnah. So for the Mizbeach Hanechoshet, they quote here a Pasuk from Shmot. Uh, chapter 20, verse 21, where it says, Mizbeach adamata sadly. So that's pretty obvious, right? An altar of earth you shall make for me. Mizbeach hazahav, right? How do they uh, know that for the Mizbeach hazahav, it's also considered to be from the earth? Dichtiv hamenor bahamizbachot. And this is a pasuk from uh, Bamidbar, chapter 3, verse 31, that says, the candelabrum and the altars, right? So the plural there, right? Itakush. It connects the two Mizbeachs to each other. So therefore, since the Mizbeach Hanachoshet is considered to be Mizbeach Adama, the same thing has to be true of the Mizbeach Zahab. And that's how they learned this. Now, that was the opinion of Rabbi Eliezer, who said that the Mizbeachs are basically always tahor because they're like the ground. Uh, if you remember, the Chachamim, though, said something different, right? It's because they are actually... Uh, coated, right? So it seems to be that the Mishnah is giving a different reason. Rabbi Eliezer says that it's like ground. The Chachamim say that they can't basically be Makabel Tuma. They cannot become Tame because they are coated. And the Gemara is bothered by this. Adarabah, right? On the contrary. 
as soon as they're coated with gold or bronze, right, they can become tummy because this metal coating basically makes the homies bath like a metal vessel. And we know that metal can become a tummy. So we say, what? So say this. And now they're basically going to amend the Mishnah text. That actually the rabbis disagree with Rabbi Eliezer and they actually believe <coughs> that the can become tame because specifically they are coded, which is really a completely different read than what we originally had of the Mishnah, right? Originally, it seemed that everybody agreed that the Mizbeach cannot become um, tame, but now because this opinion of the Chachamim really makes no sense, they basically changed the opinion of the Chachamim, the Gemara, because metal, of course, can be macabre too much, so it being coded shouldn't make a difference. And it says, okay, no, the Chachamim actually have to hold that it can become tame. The Ibai Sema, want to say, right, that actually the text of our Mishnah is correct. Rabbanan the Rabbi Eliezer Ka'amri. This is what the rabbis were saying to Rabbi Eliezer. My datech, what is your reasoning, right? In other words, why is it, how is it that you could say that the Mizbeachs cannot be Mikabel Tuma because they are like the ground, right? Why don't you just, you know, Mishum, right? Demitsufin, right? Why, you know, it, it, it's, uh, you know, they basically could have said that there's, um, that they simply could have just said that it's a, a type of vessel, it's a wooden vessel that's basically fixed in its place. And that also wouldn't be, uh, that also wouldn't be Mikabel Tuma. So they come back to say, because they're coated with metal, right? And therefore they really would be considered metal vessels and not wooden vessels. That's why they're actually, uh, they actually can be Mikabel Tuma if it weren't for the fact that they were considered like ground. So in other words, it's more the comments of the Chachamim is more, sort of challenging Rebbe Eliezer's um, as opposed to, you know, uh, uh, you know, that this whole thing about it being ground uh, rather than actually disagreeing with them. Um, and then they say, right, that basically this is a mistake that you were worried about the coding of the Mizbeach because the coding is an important batel. Um, and it's actually considered to be not the main part of the Mizbeach. It's a wooden vessel that's fixed in its place. And you didn't need to get into this thing, Rabbi Eliezer, about it actually being, uh, you know, about it being earth. It would have been enough for you to say there are wooden vessels attached to the ground. They cannot be Mechabal Tuma. And the coating is Mevatel. The coating doesn't make a difference. Um, and so you, even though usually a Kli is going to follow Thing, right, the the basically the shulchan and the mizbeach are going, and some of them first and put the shulchan actually in the same category, um, and they quote here a pasuk that was mentioned before in in Yecheska when they try to explain it in chapter forty one, verse twenty two. So, but really the main point here is is that the chachamim are basically saying to Rabbi Eliezer, you didn't even need to worry about it being karka. The, it doesn't. You don't have to worry about it being ground. The point is, it's a wooden vessel attached to the ground. And its coding doesn't actually make a difference. So the Gemara basically gives two very radical different readings of this Mishnah. One that says that maybe the Chachamim actually do believe the Mizbeach can become Tameh, but they sort of don't comment on that. What does that practically mean? Like, were they actually able to move the Mizbeach in and out and actually put it in a mikvah? 
So then they sort of land on this alternate read where actually the statement of the Chachamim is not a machloket with Rabbi Eliezer, but more to tell Rabbi Eliezer, yes, we agree with you that it cannot be Mechabal Tuma, but your reasoning behind it doesn't actually make sense. So I like how the Gemara here has handled this, you know, machloket or the apparent machloket that we saw the previous stuff, because uh, in part because, you know, it's it's pretty thorough and in part because I knew that we left it hanging. Right. Like, the you know, that's part of what happens with talking Talmud. Right. The daf continues. The daf has a whole lot more detail than we get to go into. And so sometimes we end up with a synopsis and not all the thorough detail. I feel like here we had the opportunity you were able to go through and, you know, dig down into drill down, I guess, is the expression to the to the essence of the debate that it maybe isn't such a debate or the way Chazal come to treat the 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 case of, of what could it be with the, with the kisui, with the covering. Um, I want to say that on the rest of this daf, right, meaning this daf is very short, the rest of this daf seems to be a complete departure from everything that you've just been talking about, and then it comes back around again. I also like that. And here you see how it's a total departure, right? Rabbi Abao said, the Rabbi Lazar said, that the fire of Gehenim has no power over Torah scholars. The idea that Torah scholars are somehow immune or impervious to the fires of Gehenim, whatever those mean, right? Meaning we don't necessarily know exactly what that entails, but it sounds good that the that the Tzamidei Chachamim are protected from them. Kalvachomer mi salamandra. And the Gemara explains that this is a way to, under, the way to understand this is as a kavachomer, this logical inference, right, that we're going to take from the, so we're going to learn about the strong, about the, it's, it means from the stronger, right, kavachomer, from the light to the strong. And in the Latin, it's a, a fortiori, a fortiori inference, right, the idea that we have a salamander. A salamander is, literally, it's the lizard, but it, the term here may come to include all kinds of different species, no, all kinds of different yeah, all kinds of different species within this kind of umbrella category of salamandra, which is the salamander, right? The fire salamander is, the tradition is that it's created out of fire, meaning that's not biology, that's Gemara, that's Chazal, right? That is created of, out of fire and yet is not burned, right? So then it must be protected against the fire. So Kalvachomer mi salamandra, you could learn, Uma salamandra shetoledet eish hi, so what happens just as a salamander um is the is no more than the product of fire again not biology but you know literarily understand it this way right then um then and what happens hasach Ain't or shall let the bow. It's um you can take the if you take the blood of the salamander, then the fire will have no power over you. Again, whatever this might mean from a scientific point of view, then the parallel of or the inference is that Talmide Chachamim, the sages or scholars, any scholars really, Torah scholars, all of their bodies are fire. What does it mean that they're all all of their bodies are fire? We have a verse from Yirmiyahu, Kaf Gimel, chapter 23 in the book of Jeremiah, 
where it says, Hello, Kodvarik, all surely my words, all of my words, no, Kodvari, thus my words are like fire, said God. And so the words of the Torah become part of the Torah scholars' very bodies, right? And then Alacha Kama Vakama, if the blood protect if the blood of fire protects the salamanders, so too the whole body of the Torah scholar will protect them from the fire, and in this case, specifically the fire of Gehenna. Um, there's no suggestion here that they should test the, you know, the kitchen stove fire. Um, so it is, it is a powerful, I guess, spiritual or or philosophical kind of statement about the protection, right, that is afforded to Talmidei Chachamim from the words of Torah. Amarish Lakish. So Rish Lakish, we like Rish Lakish, right? He comes and he he's he had this checkered past, which I don't think we've discussed enough. We'll come to him in another who's who at a at another point. But he says the fire of Gehenna has no power, it has no power over the sinners of Israel either. Meaning, it's not just Talmidei Chachamim who are protected from the fire of Gehenna. Also, even the sinners of Israel. Why? It's a it's a kavachom, right? the same kind of logical inference from the golden altar, from the mizbacha zahav, which is how we come back full circle, Yordana, to the bit of the daf that you already discussed. Just as the golden altar, if the golden altar, which had a coating, which again is what you just talked about, there was no thicker than the thickness of a dinar, a gold dinar, and then consider how many years it functioned as a mizbeach and the fire did not damage it and the gold remained, you know, was okay. It was not damaged. So too, um, so too, the sinners of Israel who are filled with mitzvot like a pomegranate, meaning they are filled with good deeds like a rimon, this we've seen, right? We've all, we talked about this already on the DAF, and also people know this, I think, from you know why we have a pomegranate on Rosh Hashanah and things like that. Your the the verse is from the Song of Songs, which says Rakatech. Your temples are like a pomegranate that it's split open. Don't read Rakatech meaning temples; rather, it should mean Rekanid Shabbat, that is that it's empty, meaning empty, worthless, right? Empty with nothingness. What does this mean? So don't read the word as your temples when you say read it as meaning the empty or the worthless people among you, right? The sinners of Israel, even those people are filled with good deeds, like the way the pomegranate is filled with seeds. And again, the Gemara ends here. And it's a funny ending, maybe for the for the end of a masachet. This logical, logical inference um, vocabulary of al achat kama v'kama. How much more so? Meaning, if we can say that the mizbeach is protected, the gold is protected. It's there's fire on it all the time, and there's no damage that comes to it. Then how much more so this rimon, um, even the rimon that we can understand to mean to apply to the people who are even sinners of Israel, that they have all the seeds of the Rimon, like meaning all the mitzvot that any, you know, in parallel to the Rimon, those people will be protected from the fires of Gehinom. So 
again, it's a it, it, it's connected because of the Mizbeach. Obviously, that's why this Agada is here. But it's also this kind of very powerful ending to Masachet Chagiga, but also to Seder Moed. This idea that, like, even if you're amongst the sinners of Israel, have no fear. The fires of Gehenim have nothing on you. Because just like that Mizbeach Azahav, you're not going to be burned. Because why? Because even the sinners of Israel have enough good deeds, so many good deeds within them, like a Rimon. Allah Hadron Allah. Yeah, sorry. Oh, Go ahead. Hadron, I just have one comment here. I, I, I think that the reason why we end with this Gemara is when you think about the fact that we have this mitzvah, going back to the beginning of Chagiga, of Re'iya, right? The idea that every male, okay, we won't get into the general, but the idea that every male had an obligation to go to be seen at the Beit HaMikdash. And still the women and children were also obligated because they had to participate in the Korban uh, Chagiga, right? So, you know, there was a lot of Korbanot that had to be in the Korban Simcha, the Shlame Simcha. There was a lot of Korbanot that had to be brought. Um, only the Ria was for men, but everything else everybody needed to participate in. When you think about the fact like, well, you're basically saying everybody is, is no matter what, you're a sinner, you're a tzaddik, you have to go up and you have to do this. And so I think in the way the Gemara ends sort of on this hopeful note of saying like, don't worry about it if you feel you're not worthy to do this mitzvah, right? Because if you think about it, this mitzvah is actually quite intimidating, you know, to say that you actually as an individual with all of your, uh, you know, uh, deficiencies, sins, things you don't do well, you actually should go up to the Beit HaMikdash and be seen by God and give a gift to God and participate in that, uh, you know, in that way of worshiping God. And so the Gemara basically concludes by saying, you know, the, the even the Rishayim are filled with enough mitzvot, right? They're almost like the Mizbeach itself. And we know that giving korbanot is in a way, uh, you know, it's, it's in place of the person themselves. So I think it sort of like ties all of this together very nicely by saying, even those of you who think you're a Russia, you're actually still deserving of participating uh, in in serving God this way. Beautiful. So I, in my head, I don't think I actually said it out loud, but it was in my head. My my thinking was that this is also the nature of Seder Moed. So much of the mitzvot, so many of the mitzvot of Seder Moed are really about how we conduct ourselves for holidays, but also Shabbat. And it's all about the observances that we do sometimes as a community, but a lot of it is as an individual. And it's um, much more about the ritual, let's say, and the mitzvot of ritual than, let's say, when we come forward to where we're going, you have Nashim, Nezikin, right? Where the the interpersonal mitzvot are, you know, and the legalities for establishing society and, and things like that become a little bit stronger, meaning become more of the focus of the masakta of, that we're that we're about to be embarking on. So when we look back at Moed, I think that we're thinking exactly about all of those mitzvot like a remote. I'm not saying that the Ben Adam Lachavero mitzvot are not mitzvot. Of course they are. But the the way we the way we relate to how do we the way we relate to how do we um keep these mitzvot is much more in that ritual zone, which also means that if you do it, you're, you know doing the right thing. And if you're not, then you're falling into sin. So the place of sinners here in the context of scholars seems to make sense to me at the end of Seder Moed, at the end of Seder Moed, excuse me. 
That's our daft discussion for the day. Thank you for joining us. Rank us, review us where you get your podcasts. Come talk to us on our Facebook page and tell us what you think about this daft, Masachat Chagiga, Seder Moed, all of it. Uh, we look forward to joining you in Yavamot starting tomorrow. Uh, thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. And until tomorrow, go and learn.